Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I am joined by Barbara Jansen, an American patriot who rallied in the nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, which of course has been dishonestly described as a quote-unquote insurrection by the mass media and political establishment. Okay, Barbara Jansen, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. How about yourself? How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. It is a beautiful, nice, sunny, cool day. It's not too hot here, which is nice. A nice uh, nice break from the summer heat. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm doing just fine. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. Um, I'd like to actually start off by having you introduce yourself. I originally came across you um, by listening to I, – I tune into the Hoax Busters, which is a sort of like roundtable discussion with um, Diana King – or sorry, Diane King, Diana Ploss, and then Jim and Joe Rizzoli. And I heard you actually call in on one of their more recent episodes, and he talked about a very um, concerning concerning experience, <laughs> to say the least. That that very much caught my attention, and I reached out to reached out to those good people, and they put me in touch with you. And we've done a, a little bit of a, you know emailing back and forth. We're going to do this podcast interview. I just wrote a report for American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, that will be published in the upcoming edition of the newspaper issue 29 and 30, sort of detailing some of the things that you've experienced. Um, so I, I'd, I'd kind of like to turn it over to you. Why don't you first just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of jump into what happened with this visit from the FBI. I'll sort of give uh, give our listeners a little bit of a, a heads up of, of what we're going to be talking about here. Sure, John. Um, yes, my name is Barbara, and I live here in Cranston, Rhode Island. And I uh, I just moved here two years ago. Um, so when I when I went to this J6 thing, I wasn't even living here. I was still living in Massachusetts. Um, so I, I am a uh, retired uh business owner who had her own business for 30 years in the dental lab industry. And um, I, I gave it all up to live here and re- be retired and spend time doing things that I've been wanting to do for a long time, but was too busy to do. So that's, and that's who I am. I'm, 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 I'm single. I, I live with my pets here. I'm, I'm here. Uh, I have a lot of good friends here in Rhode Island. Um, and a lot of very, very good neighbors who really get who I am and what I believe in. And I am very blessed to have found a place where I feel like I belong. Good. Wow. That's, that's good to hear. That's definitely good to hear. Um, and so you basically, did you grow up in Massachusetts? Yes. I, okay. I came to, I came to Massachusetts in 1961. I was born in Poland and I came here with my parents who uh, we we were um, brought here by my grandparents. They sponsored us to come to the United States. Uh, and so I've been in Massachusetts since 1961. 
And then of course I, I moved uh, here to Cranston um, on in July of 2021. So, okay, very interesting. Yes. Yeah, I've actually never been through Rhode Island. I have been to Boston before and in a, in a couple other places in Massachusetts, but I've never been to Rhode Island. That's the ocean state, if I'm not mistaken. That's the, the yes, nickname. It has yeah. The, yes, it has the largest amount of uh, shoreline probably in the country. We have many, many beautiful beaches here. And my favorite beach is Narragansett. We have surf waves. We have surfers coming here uh, with waves that are nonstop. As a matter of fact, I was just there yesterday. Um, there's a lot of beautiful parks here, uh, mostly oceans. And there's, there's not a lot of mountains here, although there are places that are kind of hilly uh, in certain areas. And there's a lot to do here. The people are very friendly, and it's mostly uh, where I live. Uh, it's it's mostly a very laid back blue collar uh, Republican type of people here, who um, we all kind of think alike and and we kind of keep to ourselves. Whereas uh, Providence and and all those northern areas of Rhode Island, um, they're they're a little bit different from us. They're more of the liberal uh, persuasion, and so I stay where I feel comfortable. And this is. Uh, my favorite place to live is right here in Cranston. Very cool. Awesome. That's that's interesting. Um, now, um, let's kind of just jump right into it because you did attend the rally in our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, which has been very dishonestly characterized as a quote-unquote insurrection, a violent insurrection against our democracy and you know this other sort of nonsense that you hear from both the Biden administration and, of course, the mainstream mass media. And so, of course, you went to the rally. Um, from what I understand, it was uh, basically like a, an overnight trip. You guys left really early in the morning on the day of January 6th, and you got to the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., at like 4.30 in the morning and then stayed until, what, 3 or 4 in the afternoon and then drove back to Massachusetts. So you're basically there for, for just the day, correct? Well, actually, we left uh, we left Massachusetts at 10:30 in the evening. Okay, so I had to be I had to be at the bus area at 9:30 p.m. And we finally the bus driver was lady was supposed to be there by 10 o'clock, and we ended up waiting till 10:30. And we took off right around 10:30, and we drove all night. It's like a it's like a six hour six and a half hour trip. From, from Massachusetts down to uh, D.C., and we arrived at 4.30 in the morning. So we really didn't get much sleep. We just, we just, you know, we were nodding off on the way down there, but for the most part, we nobody really got any sleep. And we arrived at 4.30, and we went to stop at a nearby bus station where we could get refreshments and, you know, and just... Uh, refresh ourselves before we were ready for our walk okay, and after about an hour yeah and after an hour of, of, of being at the bus station right around uh 5 30 we started 5 36 o'clock we started walking towards um the, the streets that run towards uh where the white house is 
and we were we kept walking and walking and it was about a three mile walk and there were police that were just just guiding the line so that people did, weren't all in the streets they were mostly walking uh, closer to the sidewalk so it was kind of so the middle of the street was kind of like rope, roped off on both sides so that people would just won't, wouldn't be all over the place but as we got closer to where we were then it, they, they had to remove the ropes because there was just no room for everybody so we just kind of squeezed our way and um, a lot of us were unable to catch up with each other and we couldn't contact each other because we had no cell cell phone service because there were like thousands and thousands of people there and there was no cell service. Uh, you couldn't call anybody, yeah. you couldn't talk to anybody. Yeah, and, and I, I've um, yeah, and I've heard I've heard other people mention that as well that there was just no cell service and that's very common in like large events like that. So that's interesting. Um, yes. Now, so basically, I'm just going to kind of give just a summary. So you you went to the event um, and then just recently, just earlier this month. You had some FBI agents show up at your front door asking you questions about your participation in the event. You know, what happened? Who'd you go with? Did you notice anything suspicious? These sorts of things. So, you know, that's a little bit concerning. You know, two and a half years after the fact, we still got the FBI harassing and, and, and persecuting and targeting, you know, just average Americans that, you know, attended this this public rally in our nation's capital, which is, you know, a, a very very indicative of where we're at as a country. You know, we have these left-wing rioters and terrorists that have, you know, caused so much damage and chaos over the course of the past, really, 10 years almost now, and yet we don't see really any major investigations into their activities, and yet here here you are, you simply attended the event, you weren't even in the Capitol, and, you know, you peacefully went to the event and then left on a bus with other, you know, fellow Trump supporters and, and American patriots, and yet here's the FBI knocking on your home door, you know, asking you questions about it. Very, very concerning. So I want to kind of start off and ask you, like, how you sort of got politically active. Like, what was sort of like what triggered it? Was it the Trump candidacy, the Trump, you know, 2016, you know, election, um, or were you active politically before that? I was not active politically before that until until uh, Trump came along the first time. I, I started seeing things that were really bothering me in the news, and I started to learn what fake news was. I, uh, I, I started questioning things. It all started like years ago when I started to question the 9-11 narrative and the following narratives after that, including narratives about Las Vegas shooting and all these other things. And I, and I was, you know, I was very interested in knowing the truth. I'm a, I'm a truth seeker. So I was active on uh, all the plat different platforms. I got away from mainstream news. I, I don't watch television, but I paid very close attention to the platforms that were available for people to see the truth, where they exposed uh, experiences that people had, and they were there with their cameras. They they were right. They were, they were the boots on the ground as far as news was concerned. They didn't have an agenda. They just basically told everybody what they saw. They were just witnesses to what was going on. And that's how I got interested. And then um, I, I started hearing about, you know, I didn't even know what a Republican or a Democrat was. And then and then I found out that, you know, uh, the, the, the people that served my values the closest 
would have would have been the Republicans, even though in the past I was uh, and still am registered as an independent uh, because I really I go by issues. I don't go by parties. Um, so I, I registered as an independent and I I liked the what President Trump stood for and all the things that he was talking about. I mean, he sold me hook, line, and sinker. What can I tell you? It's everything that he said that he that he believed in was was the things that I believed in. So I started following him and going to the rallies. I, I've been to a couple of New York rallies. I went with friends. Uh, I never had to go alone because there was always people that wanted to come with me. And, and it was just fun. You know, we would just go there and we'd meet all these really nice people and we'd hear the president speak. And we were, he was kind of like a celebrity to us and a hope that maybe our country could turn around and and follow the the ideals that he set forth in his speeches. Mm-hmm. So that So that's basically what? where I was coming from. The, yeah, and I know you had mentioned some of the rallies that you attended in New Hampshire. Would that have been in the, you know, in the during the election season of 2016, like in 2015, early 2016, when you actually went to these rallies? Uh, I went. Let's see. I went to the rally right before right before the election uh, here. Um, I don't quite remember because it was there was so there was a few of them. I'd have to go back to my photographs because I photograph all all of my rallies that I go to. And you know, after a while, after you've been to so many of them, you you can't everything gets kind of blended in, so you can't really tell where where it started and where it ended. But uh, all I know is that I went um, once in the summertime, and then I went once in the fall. And that was, I believe that was in 2018. This is right midterm. I would say midterm of President Trump's presidency. Okay, right. When I started going, it was right around the midterm, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember going to a couple Trump rallies myself. And this would have been in 2015, 2016, early Late 2015, early 2016, I went to one in Las Vegas, Nevada, and then another one in, I think it was in, was it Costa Mesa, California? The Costa Mesa one was very, very violent and destructive after the rally was over with, which I'm sure you remember that whole summer and that whole fall, Trump supporters getting attacked and, you know, Antifa basically running the streets and intimidating and harassing people and even violently assaulting people, and that took place all the way up, leading you know, leading up to the election. I also went to a Trump rally in San Diego, California, and similar things were happening, although it wasn't on the scale like it was in Costa Mesa. But one thing that struck me about the Trump rallies was how, um, and I think this is sort of reflected in, in in what you had to tell me via email. You know, your experience at the rallies. Everybody's very patriotic and friendly and nice and sort of on the same page. And just the sort of uh, atmosphere was, was very uplifting. Was that more or less your your sort of experience as well? Yes, it was like going to a. It was like seeing a rock star. It was like going to like a major major concert. It was like being at Woodstock. I've never been to Woodstock, but I've I've seen the movie and I've seen how many thousands of people would show up and everybody was uh, just having a good time. And I I think it was mostly for the social aspect of it along with the fact that they were supporting 
President Trump, but I, I think it was mostly people came because they they supported him and and people loved being around other people. It was very festive. So I think that played a big role in it. Right. Absolutely. Well, I want to ask you sort of another kind of broader question. What um what what did Trump say? Like what sort of points was he making that really resonated with you? Like what were the issues that you cared about that that you seemed that you felt Trump stood up for? Well, he was making a contrast between what he what he was committed to and what was going to happen. And everything that he said was going to happen actually happened. He said that, you know, if we if we didn't vote for him and we voted for the other guy, um, we would see uh, inflation like we've never seen before. We would see open borders like we've never seen before. We would see um, crime go up uh, like it's never been seen before. So all the things that he said actually came true. Uh, you know, I I. I I could not understand why anybody would vote for anybody else but him because he he had an insight of what would happen if the if the agenda of, of the, if the Democrat agenda got a hold of our country um, it would mean the loss of our rights the loss of people having their rights to arm themselves the loss of free speech uh, he he covered all of those all of those um, all those things that he covered, um, basically telling us what would happen if we didn't vote for him. And then what he was committed to, he would say what he was committed to. He was committed to free speech. He was committed to um, creating unity for the people. Uh, he was created to having everybody be safe and no wars. I actually sent him a letter when he was in office um, during the 1516, uh, between those years. I sent him a message saying, you know, that we are supposed to be peacemakers. Um, you know, the Bible tells us, I'm, I'm a Christian, and the Bible tells us, you know, be ye peacemakers. And I, 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 I told him that, and I also mentioned to him but the Bolshevik Revolution killed about a million, uh, about a hundred million people, and the, Bolsh the Bolshevik uh, Revolution was basically, um, you know, stuffing communism down people's throats, and anybody who disapproved or disobeyed, they would be murdered, and that's what happened. But of course, that uh, that war never gets mentioned. It's it's always the Holocaust, the Holocaust, the Holocaust, but you never hear about the 100 million people that were murdered during that war and the millions of Christians that were persecuted and killed during that war. So I sent President Trump a message about that and I told him about the 100 million people and I couldn't believe it, but within a week of hearing, uh, I was listening to all of his rallies and listening to all of his speeches, within a week, the same week I mentioned it to him, he mentioned what I wrote to him. So I know, I know that he was reading my mails to him. I had, I had been texting him on my messenger and, uh, and they've been leaving messages there. And I know that he got the message. Wow. So that That is very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Trump, I mean, love him or hate him. He definitely was talking about issues that, 
resonated very, very deeply with so many Americans, so many traditional heritage Americans. Um, you know, just the border issue alone. I mean, build the wall, deport all of these illegals and the birthright citizens. Of course, I don't know if that I, I don't think that that actually happened under his watch, unfortunately. But just that rhetoric, that sort of uh, that my, that bold, tough stance, putting America first, all these things resonated mm-hmm. so deeply with so many people around the country. And I think they still do, frankly, for that matter. Um, and I have, like, like you, I have a lot of questions about the legitimacy of the 2020 election, where we're told that Joe Biden received over 81 million votes, the most votes ever cast for a U.S. presidential candidate in the history of this country. That's just simply... That's not even plausible in my view. I mean, this was a man that couldn't get more than 20 people to come listen to him speech on the to come listen to him speak on the campaign trail if he even bothered to campaign. I mean, for much of the the, the 2020 campaign, he was nowhere to be seen, right? So I mean, the the whole the whole scenario of the 2020 election does not add up whatsoever, and that's what drew so many people to Washington D.C. on January 6th, including yourself and many many others. Can you tell us a little bit about um, like how the trip was organized? You, you had mentioned it was sort of like a local Republican type group. Is that right? Yes, it was a it was a local Republican group. Um, somebody told me about them, uh, and I I found out as soon as I decided that I thought I might be interested in going to the rally. I, I saw the page. Where I, I may even have a screenshot of it because I, I take screenshots of everything where President Trump said, you are invited. And I thought, wow, that sounds really cool. I think I'd like that. So I mentioned it to my friends. I had some friends who were very po- politically active within their community, and they were Trump supporters. And they um, they told me about this um, the, somebody running a trip to uh to the rally and and it's not that far from my house it was from Worcester and they were friends of theirs so I found out about it and I contacted this lady and um and I actually drove to her house to deliver a a, a check to her because I wanted to make sure she got it on time so that I could get on the bus and I went with two other uh, two other of my Christian friends um, and we we kind of we had a lot of camaraderie on on the on the ride up, um, so that that's how basically how it started. I was interested in going. I wanted to go. I've been to rallies before. They were fun, and I thought, oh man, this this is going to be epic. This is going to be probably the most important important rally ever on the planet, and it's in D.C. and I've been wanting to go to D. I haven't been to DC since 2014 when I went on a a tour bus trip to to the Capitol and uh, and to some of the you know the Smithsonian Museum and so forth and so on. So I said, gee, well, I haven't been there in many many years. I'd, I'd like to go back. And with all those factors in place, it it turned my decision to go and, and have a good time and support the president. I figured the more voices, the merrier, you know, it's, good, yeah. it's just voices. Yep. Well, and I think, I mean, from what I understand and from, you know, listening to other testimony by people who attended that, the rally on January 6th, um, that was more or less the mindset of, of the vast majority of people there. They were good patriotic Americans that supported the president. 
um, had major concerns about the results of the election and wanted to express those concerns. And that's more or less what happened, at least for the most part. Um, but let's actually talk about what took place on January 6th. So you guys get there really early in the morning. Um, why don't you kind of just walk us through the day, if you don't mind? Oh, sure. Okay. So like I said before, we got off the bus and um, the bus driver dropped us off near a bus station because he had to go park somewhere else so he could get some sleep because he was going to be there all day uh, waiting for us to get back on the bus. So it was time for him to go find a place to, to park his his bus. And, and there were many, many buses that went on this. Ours wasn't the only one. We, there were like tons and tons of buses that, that were going to this event. And so he dropped us off at the bus station where we had a little little break there and got some food and and just basically prepared ourselves for a three mile walk. And we just orderly, just just slowly walked along the street and everybody was kind of hanging out and talking to each other and, and people were enjoying meeting people from different parts of the country. And uh, we just kept walking until we were so close to people that the there was nowhere else to walk except to stand stand still. And fortun fortunately, I was in the area where I was in front of the screen so that I could hear <clears throat> everything that was being said. And behind me, I, I could see the monument. And there was like tons and tons of people just all surrounding the monument. And they were they were seeing it on screens, too. I guess they had screens everywhere uh, on the White House. And so we listened to numerous speakers at the time. I, I couldn't even remember the, who, who the names were, but they were all people that everybody heard of. I, I even think that um, Giuliani, was the, Governor Giuliani was there, uh, I think. Um, there's just so much going on. I, I just couldn't remember everybody that spoke, but, but there were a lot of women that spoke. Um, that were part of the team, and it was it was great. But and but what worried me was why was it taking so long for President Trump to come on the stage? I mean, we waited like 45 minutes, and we were getting all kind of anxious. Like, oh, when's he when's he gonna come? You know, when's he gonna start talking? And we we were a little bit concerned. So he finally came on and started talking, and I could see there was a little bit of um, like the serious seriousness to his tone. Um, but it's, he sounded, you know, after hearing different rallies of his, this one was a particular concern to him for some reason. And, and I, I knew what the reason was because I was, I was worried about Antifa causing trouble. I, I, I'm always weary, leery about going to places where there's a, a lot of people. And then there's always a, a troublemaker there you know, they, they they put on their mega hats and they wear black, they put on their red mega hats, they print they pretend that they are uh Trump supporters when actually they're just provocateurs and and um troublemakers. And that's they don't want anybody to have a good time. That's basically it. They want to create havoc wherever they go. And of course they did that, you know, during the COVID season when they uh, when they destroyed property and rioted and everything else. And I and that's why I avoided coming to Boston one time because I knew there was something was going on in Boston, but I knew the, the Antifa showed up and I'm really glad I didn't go 
But I went anyway. I figured yeah. if I'm around that many well, people, you know, I don't have to worry about it. Well, if you remember you going know. back to when – I was going to say, if you remember going back to when Trump was inaugurated um, back in twenty in January 2017, do you remember Washington, D.C., what happened over the weekend of his inauguration? They had these big, massive Antifa – you know, I, I don't know if it was necessarily Black Lives Matter. It was more like Antifa, far left, you know, communist type groups that were just openly, you know, attacking people and, you know, vandalizing buildings, breaking windows, just openly. I mean, like a, like a, a genuine insurrection um, that was taking place on the streets of Washington, D.C. To, to, quote unquote, protest the inauguration of Trump. Do you remember that? I vaguely remember that. Um, the only reason why I didn't take note of it is because it 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 wouldn't surprise me. It's not it's not a big surprise to me that that there are people on the left that actually I was reading that um, George Soros was funding these people, giving them money to come and protest. Yeah, and so yeah, exactly. That that yeah, I think I think there is some evidence to support that, and I remember even writing about that at the time for American Free Press. Um, there was a group called Disrupt J20, which was, you know, January 20th, the inauguration of newly elected President Donald Trump. And yeah, there was, I mean, there was all sorts of crimes being committed and, and just violence and, and chaos and mayhem all across Washington, D.C. Yet the media did not describe that as an insurrection. It was described as, you know, peaceful protests and other nonsense. Most of these people that were actually arrested, if they were even arrested, or, or even, you know, sort of confronted by law enforcement, had their charges dropped. So, I mean, there's this double, there's this major double standard when it comes to conservative or patriotic or right-wing, you know, protests or rallies versus when the left goes out there and literally, like, destroys entire cities, attacks people on the streets. You know, the media is quick to describe that as genuine protests and, you know, people just letting off some steam. You know, you hear, you hear rhetoric like this. Whereas, you know, I mean, in your case, you know, here you are at this genuinely peaceful protest on on January 6th, didn't even go into the Capitol, didn't commit any sort of crimes. And yet here's the FBI showing up to your door two and a half years later. I highly doubt any of these people that were participating in this disrupt J20 event, for example, or, you know, not not to mention the whole summer of chaos, uh, the, the BLM cover color revolution over the course of the summer of 2020 where the country was rocked by protests all across the country in addition to the whole covid quote unquote pandemic being rolled out um these people did not face basically any repercussions for their violent criminal actions so the double standards could not be more stark and more obvious and yet still it's <laughs> you know the the media i mean that's what the media does they literally gaslight and invert reality and describe, you know, the January 6th protest as a quote-unquote insurrection and all these other truly actual, like, violent insurrections as peaceful protests. It's absolutely insulting. Well, I think that they're, they're all bound and bowing down to their bosses, whoever these bosses are. They are dic trying to dictate everything, and people don't question anything anymore they just go by uh, circumstances and 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 things that are just happening and like a like like a story but they the question is 
who's behind all this? What is their motive? How long have they been planning this? And from what I, my understanding is, it's been 2000, they've been planning this for 2000 years. That's my feeling about it, that they've been, they've been planning it and it, and they, and they started planning it when they, uh, when they, when, when Zionism was enacted and the, and, and the state called Israel came into effect, that's when the whole country went down the tubes. That's when we started having, uh, uh, a, a, a social a war against morality. That's when we started. That's when in the six in the sixties they took God out of out of the uh, uh, out of the schools. No more prayers. They they've done everything to demoralize our country to the point where it has subverted the people that are in it. And the only people that can get to run the government. They say we are a free country. We're not a free country. We never were a free country. We are a country bound by money, by those who have the money to run for office and control our country. They are controlled by the people who have money. And they right. only they only give us fringes, fringes of freedom, just to keep us quiet for a little while. But their goal is that one world government that they're seeking. And that's what this is all about. That's what communism is about. I came. I was born in a communist country. I can smell a communist rat a mile away. I know how these people think. I remember when I was a little girl living in Poland. I almost died because we had no, we had no, we didn't have enough food. We didn't have enough medicine. We didn't have any enough uh, nutrition. I had, I had to. My parents had to wait for packages to come from the United States, giving me vitamins so that I could live because I almost died. There was, because that's what communism does. And when we used to sit around the table with my family at the dinner table, with the, at, at, when friends came to visit, they all said the same thing, that if you belong to the party, you get to have a car. If you belong, The only way you can be a person of means is to belong to the party. And of course, none of my relatives belong to the party. So that's and finally, I was finally happy when when uh, communism broke its bones and, and allowed uh, Lech Walesa to strive to make Poland a free country, more or less. And when I went back, everything everything was different. We just there were stores. You could buy things. There was food. There was, you know, it was like freedom. But, you know, I came to the United States to get away from communism. And now I'm in a country where they, the kids want the communism. And that's the thing that scares me the most, that the young people are being uh, indoctrinated by the schools that are being run by the establishment. And you know what I mean by the establishment. Um, so we're, we're living in times when, when, when the people have been um, brainwashed and they were and the ones that are brainwashing them are getting paid to do it. And yes, if, yep. I hear that there's uh, I hear that there's more administrators in the colleges than there are students. Yeah, that's that, that, that wouldn't surprise me. There's certainly no shortage of these of these administrators in college universities anymore that. Yeah. Well, look, you're making a lot of good points. Um it's a little bit, I guess, unrelated to the January 6th situation, but look, I, I think you're right about a lot of what you just said for sure. 
Um, getting back to the day's events, so you actually, and, and you explained this via email, you actually got a notification on your um, BitFit or your cell phone um, that the bus was actually going to be leaving early to head back to Massachusetts. Is that right? This was at like yes, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Yep. Yes, I was, I was, I was heading close to the capital. And as I came towards the Capitol, there was a little statue there with people um, climbing on it, taking pictures. It was a, it was a, it was like a Kodak moment for a lot of people. And they were all having a good time. They weren't causing any trouble. They were just climbing up there so they could have pictures taken with on the stack where the statue and the fountain is. And then I looked up in the scaffolding and I looked and I saw there was a scaffolding there because there was a recent inaugura- inauguration. So. There were these people, these guys hanging off the rafters wearing black clothing. And to me, they just looked like devils to me. I just said, I just felt a very, very bad spirit was going on. And I, I just stood back and I just watched. I didn't go any further. I didn't want to walk up the Capitol because I, I didn't know what to expect there. And I, I didn't want to go there. And then just... As I was standing at the statue, I got a I got a message on my Fitbit saying, "Please return to your uh, please return to the bus. We are leaving an hour earlier." And I thought, "Oh, thank God! I don't want to be around these Antifa people." Um, I I you know when there were police and there were people close to the Capitol, I didn't want to get close to any of that. Um, I just right. I just wanted to go home. You know, yeah, I, I just I, wanted I, well, to go home. I, yeah, I certainly do not blame you at all for that. How long of a walk did it take? Like, how long, you know, did it take you to get back to the bus? Was it quite a quite a journey? I ran. I ran. Uh, I left. I left right around three fifteen, three three fifteen, and I got to the bus probably in about. It took me a half an hour to run to the bus to the bus station from whence we came because we were dropped off at that bus station. So. I had to stop and ask directions where the bus station was because I I didn't know where I don't remember exactly where it was I sort of I figured out where it was but I mm-hmm. had to I had to ask a few people and then when I got to the bus station um, there was a bunch of people waiting there but there was no bus and I'm like where the heck is the bus and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and the bus isn't there and finally I think the bus arrived around we waited like a half an hour and about. 4:30, the bus uh, finally arrived, and about we were just about to take off. It was five minutes of five, and then um, we were worried about my friend. Uh, he he wasn't on the bus, and we kept saying, "Well, where where's 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 where is where is he? Where did he go?" And um, we were going to take off, but then one of the girls said, "Well, you know, he said that he had a." relative living in Delaware that he might not take the bus back. And and I thought, well, that's weird. How the hell is he going to get around? He doesn't have a car. But anyways, five minutes of five, he jumps on the bus and he's complaining about, you know, that he gets some tear gas in his eye. Uh, so apparently he was on the stairs of the, um, of the uh, Capitol. And I was just glad I didn't go there. I, I just wanted to get out of there. I, I came to see the rally. I'm good with that. I didn't want to go inside the Capitol at all because I, something just, you, you know, you, you got feeling, you got to listen to your gut. And that's what I do. I listen to my gut. It said, don't go there. And right. Well, that was it. probably, that was probably a very 
wise and smart decision to make looking back at, you know, everything that's happened. So, um, what, like, and, and you kind of talk about that. Well, I, I, I kind of explain it in the article, but, and, and you explained it to me via email. Um, when you got back, you know, back to Massachusetts from the rally, the media coverage, yes. you, you, you immediately noticed that the media coverage, um, what was very, very distorted and, and, and not at all what you experienced. Is that right? The media coverage of right. what happened. Yeah. Why don't you, yeah. Why don't you talk that's about that? Correct. Because I think that's a key part of this whole story is the way this quote unquote, um, insurrection, I think, frankly, I mean, I don't, I don't have all the, you know, evidence and, and, and details, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that this whole entire idea of an insurrection was more or less manufactured by the media. And there was probably some sort of government undercover plants or provocateurs that were there to sort of instigate this, this, you know, chaos at the Capitol. I mean, really there wasn't, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to say exactly how it went how it went down, but they, they basically created a situation that the media could present as a quote unquote insurrection. And then of course the media and the political establishment just doubled down. And you know, that, that's all they, that's all you hear about January 6th. That's the only perspective you hear in any sort of mainstream outlet is that it was this quote unquote insurrection. And you know, the, the greatest challenge to our democracy in history, it's just absurd. Some of the, some of the things that they say about January 6th, a, a, a bigger, a bigger challenge to the country than nine 11. Even some of these people say. Yes. Well, I'm really glad that you asked that question because when I came home, I, I, I got in the I got in my car at 1230 AM. I got home at one o'clock and the first thing I did was when I went on to parlor and I wanted to see because people send in videos to parlor and video would play them. And what I saw was, you know, people being escorted, you know, and it wasn't even crowds of people. There, there was like there was like uh, intermittent groups of people being escorted until they got into the narrower hallways where they were just walking very quietly and they were being escorted. Uh, by the security and they were being shown they were even escorted downstairs to to the to the lower uh levels of the capital where the offices were and and what i heard the ne- the next day was that somebody went into uh pelosi's office nancy pelosi's office and and the laptop was stolen and I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. The lap was top was stolen. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it, I doubt that it was Antifa that did it. I think my thought was, what would they want with her laptop? What what sort of information is on that laptop? So it's, it's really hard to say whether it was um, given permission by higher higher authorities to send somebody down there to create a mess to make it look like an insurrection, steal the uh, steal the uh, the laptops, and then leave a mess. I mean, they didn't damage anything. They just took papers and this kind of like threw them around the threw them around the floor and on the and on the desks. So it was just to make like a little bit of a mess to to let people know. Well, we were there. You know, we 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 showed up and we. And we and we took the uh, and we took the, uh, the the laptop. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And I'm thinking, gee, was was that was that the FBI that did this? Was this the CIA? Um, I don't think that people who 
uh, were for uh, Nancy Pelosi would have taken it. I would think that it's somebody that's um, opposing her would take her laptop and maybe use it as evidence uh, of something because there was talk about how she had refused extra police coverage and protection for during at the Capitol during during the rally that no it's not necessary that she refused it and I watched some of the videos where she said those things you know so it's not like somebody's making stuff up this is what she said but a lot of people did not get to see this because it was not shown on mainstream news so just because it's not on mainstream news doesn't mean it didn't happen it's like yeah, if a tree falls and doesn't make a noise, did it fall? You know, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was, so the first thing I did was I called, I called Parler and I told him, I said, look, somebody got Nancy Pelosi's uh, uh, laptop. I said, I wonder, I wonder what's on that laptop that they needed so badly. Maybe there's evidence of something. And then I, I gave, I, I gave that news. I, I posted it on my Facebook page. I posted it on Parlor, and by the end of the day, by the next morning, Parlor was gone, completely shut down, completely gone, because everybody was writing messages saying, you know, what happened at the Capitol, and uh, the mainstream news shut it down because, you know, they still run, they still run the mainstream news, so they shut them down. So they shut, you and know, and that and that down. was and that was a website that I did I never really followed or, or used Parlor much at all. That was kind of like a social media site where you could share videos and stuff. And you were t- you were telling me that there was a lot of video, like authentic video footage coming out of the Capitol that was originally broadcast on Parlor that painted a much different perspective of what actually happened inside yeah. the Capitol. And I mean, you know, you can even see some of the footage that Tucker Carlson has released, for example, and other so other stuff on social media. Yeah. Showing either people being let in to the Capitol by some of the law enforcement on duty that day and sort of <laughs> being given a little tour and allowed to allowed to enter. Or, I mean, there's like conflicting, conflicting, um, conflicting narratives, I guess, you know, and there was a lot of very suspicious things like the whole remember the whole like pipe bomb scenario where the media was reporting that there were pipe bombs placed at the DNC and the I think it was the DNC and the RNC and then nothing ever came of that like <laughs> the story just sort of disappeared there was a lot of weird and fishy things about the official narrative surrounding 9/11 including I would even argue the the shooting of Ashley Babbitt that whole situation is is very bizarre and Certainly, if it did happen the way they did, there's a lot of unanswered questions, including the fact that the guy who allegedly did it wasn't even I mean, there was like really no major investigation, no major uproar about, you know, him shooting an unarmed protester. I mean, the whole thing was just very bizarre. Well, in addition to that, my I have another friend that went there. Um, you, you, you've seen Diana on the Hostbusters. Um, she she. Um, she t- she came down with a friend of hers because she you know she was a big Trump supporter at the time not no more she doesn't she doesn't she completely is opposed to him but at that time when she told me that she got attacked by Antifa and the police stood down they did nothing to protect her and she's been in other rallies uh, where also she was attacked and the police did nothing and I remember two uh, a few summers ago summer of 2020. Uh, 
the summer of 2020, when she was out um, protesting against the COVID stuff in front of the governor's office, um, she was being attacked by a um, by an Antifa guy. And I, I saw this guy, and he was just he was like a demon. Every word out of his mouth was foul, and he was just like a a a fountain of foul language. He he was just demonic, and he just and he he had attacked her, and she's she's done the process of, of trying to deal with that, you know, legally. Um, but I remember saying to myself when she when she was at the governor's house holding the flag that said "Back the Blue, Back the Blue," um, I I totally disagreed with that because I've had my own incidences with the with the blue. Uh, where they what they do is at night if you're driving and you're and you're delivering something late at night they deliberately tailgate you and harass you so you so you either have to like swerve a little bit and then they pull you over and they start questioning you why you're up at night it's like the Gestapo it's really bad and so I never went with the idea that I was going to back the blue because I knew they weren't protecting her and I just had to say, stay out of trouble. I just said, I don't want any trouble. I, I, I just want to go home. I, I came to the rally. I saw what I wanted to see. I'm not going into that evil infested, devil infested place called the Capitol where it's run by nothing but corrupt. Oh, I got to start asking me about my interaction with FBI. I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that's ultimately where we're getting. Yeah, exactly. Because just what was it? It was on July 7th, right? That at 11:30 a.m. Yeah. you got a knock on your door, and yeah. there's a couple, uh, you know, well-dressed younger younger individuals, right? You see, you describe them as being, you know, yeah. in their in their 30s probably, so not very, you know, not very not very old at all. Um, and they're yeah. there to talk to you about your attendance you know, at this rally in the nation's capital on January 6th, where, again, you did not even enter the capital, you committed no crimes, were you even, did they even accuse you of a crime? I mean, how dare they show up and they don't even, you know, you haven't even committed a crime. No, here's, here's, I'll give you the blow-by-blow description, I remember it very well, because I've told it so many times, I can't forget it now. (laughs) Um, I, I came to the door, uh, because I heard somebody knocking at the front door. Nobody ever knocks on the front door because um, that's basically a, an exit in case there's a fire for me to get out of my house. The real entrance to my house is on the side of the house where I have a uh, where I have a breezeway and that's where I all my mail goes. No, nobody ever comes to the front door. Um, so unless there are people that don't understand how the house is set up. So I. I was expecting the AC guy to come and charge my air conditioner. And so I, um, I opened the door and the two people were standing there. Nice young, nice looking young man and woman was standing there. And I thought, Oh, maybe the Jehovah's witnesses <laughs> or maybe uh, no, can't be Jehovah's witnesses. They don't sound like them. Then I says, well, I know maybe they're selling solar panels. And I looked at his shirt and he had some kind of a seal on his, it was a pol- it was a white pol he wore a white polo shirt and and on the shirt was like a little um uh, uh embroidered uh, little thing patch a little patch on it i couldn't really read what it was so i initially thought oh maybe they're selling 
solar panels, but that's not it. So I asked them, you know, I looked and I said, how can I help you? You know, and they says, well, we're, we're, you know, and then he pulls out his identification saying I'm from the FBI and we've been, we've been sent here to, um, uh, what, how do you say? He said, uh, um, I had the wording per- to this perfectly, but um, he says we we we've been told that um, you you had been. It's about the yes, okay. It's about the J six re- um, uh, December rally, and we're following up on information from your Facebook page that you had been at the rally. And I said, yes, I was at the rally. And so he proceeded to ask me all these questions like, you know, when, when, the where, the how, the why, and all the things we just talked about, how, how that was. And, um, and so he asked me who I, who I came with. I didn't name any names. I'm not, I'm not a name dropper. I'm not naming any names. I told him that too. I said, look, I don't remember the lady that had it. I'm sure I could find it in my phone book if I looked long enough, but I wasn't going to tell him. I said, I offhand, I don't remember her name. Um, all I know is it's the, it was the Republican committee and it was an invitation to get on the bus with a bunch of senior citizens and other young people who were interested in going to the rally. And so then he asked me, well, when we, when you, you know, he asked me where, I, where I was, where I was standing. And I, I gave him, I gave him all the information that he could possibly need a one and more than he wanted. Cause by the time I was done with him, he couldn't wait to get the hell out because I kept telling him, I said, I kept saying, do you need more information? I, you know, I will give you whatever information you need. You, you keep, you keep t- asking me and I'll tell you. And he said, uh, no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. You know, and then as he was leaving, oh, I, to- I also told him, you know, why I, I normally don't come to this door because I don't have a doorbell. And then I looked him in the eye and I said, and I don't want a doorbell either. <laughs> so he looked at me like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was no, there was no signs of any kind of um, authoritarian type of uh, 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 behavior. There was no attitude. There was, a, I mean, they were really nice young people. I, I have to say they were not mean or nasty. They were, they were, they were pleasant. Like I said, they, they reminded me of Jehovah's Witnesses. But I, I said to him, I says, I, I, I don't want a doorbell because anybody who wants to come and see me will have to contact me first to make sure that I'm here so I can let them in. So anyways, um, as he was leaving, uh, I said, are you sure? And he said, yes, I'm sure. We're good. We're good. And then I said to him, I says, listen, let me tell you something. And then I kept talking. I said, let me tell you something. I'm not a supporter of any government. I'm not a supporter of Trump. I'm not a supporter of Biden. I'm not a supporter of anybody because all those people in Congress that you see here, they're all bowing down to their masters and their masters are, is that they support Israel and Israel is spying on us and Israel is the ones that feeding money into our system for us to all be spied on. I says, I know what's going on. They're, 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 I says, we're all being controlled by a tribe of people where our freedoms are being taken away one by one. And I looked him in the eye when I said it. I says, and you know who the tribe is, all right? Well, he didn't know what to say. And I said to him, 
And he was like really ready to go off. He was ready to leave and he was like leaving. And I said, oh, and one more thing. Here I am yelling at the guys is trying to get out of my house. He said, I said, oh, and one more thing, one more thing. I said, I hope that you can put some truth and integrity back into your agency after I already told them his agency was very corrupt. I said, you know, just so you know, your agency is very is known to be very corrupt. I says, I hope that you can bring some truth and, and integrity back into it. And his answer to me was, we're trying. Wow, and interesting. Yeah. And that's all I needed to hear. So, so when they approached you, they they never they never said you're accused of a crime or they're in a, you know no. they're, they're investigating no. a crime. It was just they basically wanted to no. talk to you and get as much information from you as possible. Yeah, that's it. They said we're just following up, and I said, "How did you get? How did you know I was there?" Oh, well, we saw your Facebook page. My mm. Facebook page, really? Okay, like like. Everybody has Facebook, and why would I not put it there? If I had something to hide, I wouldn't put anything up there. Right. right. Well, and and that's you know that's a question I have because well I should preface this by saying when I heard you on the uh, when I heard you call into the Hoaxbusters and sort of talk about this that was where I first originally you know wanted to reach out and, and talk to you myself. They were a little bit critical of you even talking to the FBI when you're not accused of a crime. You're not, you know, you have no obligation to talk to these people or provide them any information whatsoever. So how do you respond to that sort of criticism? I go by my conscience. I don't let anybody tell me what to do. My my God has provided a path of honesty and a path where I am living a happy life. And I didn't get this life from being, from hiding anything from anybody. I am, I am transparent. And these people are just doing their job. They're just, they're, they're just people trying to make a living. They really don't even want to be there. But they're there because they were sent by, by the tribe to, to harass and humiliate and intimidate all of us so that we don't, vote for Trump or that we don't we don't have any say in our government because they would like us to be silent about everything. And what better way to silence people than to pick on senior citizens so they can distract the the the, the public from the truth of the real criminals that are out there. Why well, you know somebody says to me, well why didn't you ask him to start investigating uh Hunter Biden? And I'm like, you know, I wish I had thought of everything I wanted to say. Had I known they were coming, I would have been better prepared. But I was only. <laughs> I would have asked them, yeah. <laughs> How many investigations are being pursued against these BLM terrorists that wrecked the country in 2020? Yeah. Or how many? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know if right, I would. I don't right. even. I don't even know if if I would have talked to myself. But I I, I respect that. I, I respect your answer, in trying to be as open and honest and transparent as possible. Because I really think that is a, pro, at least in, in in my opinion, the most effective way to operate and and to and to do these things and to get these issues into the public discussion and into the public realm, is to be as you know honest and transparent as possible. And that's. I mean, it's gotten me in trouble. You know, I, I started saying and writing some of these things, you know, 
over 10 years ago now when I was a very young man. And it's, you know, it's led to some problems, some professional problems and, and things of that nature. But, you know, what can you do? I mean, this is, this is our, our, our one shot at life. And, you know, I, I try to be open and honest. And if these things are on my mind and I'm knowledgeable about certain things, I want to be able to talk about it. And I think that if you're too intimidated or, or, you know, feel like you have to use a pseudonym or hide your feelings, well, then you're not really living in a free country at all, are you? No, no. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to speak up to authority. I've been I've been harassed by police simply for being out late at night. I've had to file four complaints to four different police departments for being harassed by police. And I know what's where it's coming from. They're all being trained by the Israeli Defense Forces and they treat everybody like a terrorist. And this is what they're doing with this with this FBI nonsense. This is their way of of showing their authoritarian, tyrannical uh, lordship over over innocent people who who they have really no basis whatsoever to come to my house. I did nothing wrong. I didn't. I wasn't even near the, near the steps of the Capitol. All the pictures I took were outside with eight hundred to a million people. They, you know, I, I yeah, know why they're well doing said. this. I know why they're doing this. This is to deflect and to uh, and to uh, uh, interfere with elections. That's what they're trying yeah. to do. Well, it's a, yeah, you're right. It's intimidation, and, and you made that point very, very well. Um, and and I tend to agree with you. And you know, just when I think that the FBI and the Department of Justice could not sink any lower, could not be more disgraceful and dishonest and just clearly partisan and politically motivated. I wake up the next day and read about, or, you know, hear about your story or find out about how they've been covering up the, for Hunter Biden and the Joe Biden crime family for the past 10, 15 years, or, right. you know, refuse to prosecute far left terrorists and, and things of this nature. So it's like every day it gets worse and worse and more evidence comes to light of just how truly dishonorable and corrupt the entire federal law enforcement system is. It's a total joke. And I think your case proves that very, very well. And with that said, Barbara, I'm actually going to have to wrap up. I don't know if you have any other concluding remarks, but I definitely want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. And thank you for taking the time to answer these questions and for standing up for what you believe in. I think it's very important. And I tip my hat to you. John, I want to thank you for taking the time and the interest to to allow my voice to be heard about what's going on and we need more we need more voices like mine in order to change the consciousness of of the of the social climate that we're living in right now um years ago i i did something pretty drastic on an air flight from from uh from europe to boston very very drastic behavior but it changed the world in 30 days where there was no more pipes, pipe or cigar smoking on any flight, whether domestic or international. Um, it was through my actions that this thing actually elevated itself to change. So I believe that you never know when you're going, when you're going to be the last straw in the world. I always live your life like you're the last straw. And that you have something to say that could be the last straw towards change. Because in my faith and in my belief in God, I believe in the book of Ephesians where it says, 
There is nothing hidden that will not be exposed and brought to knowledge. And this is the these are the times that we're living in, and it's people like yourselves that are are, are risking public opinion to tell the truth. And I applaud you. And the more people we get on our side, the more the less risk we'll have to worry about. The ones who are against us will have to then fear the truth and move away from us. Yes, well said. Thank you, Barbara. I really appreciate it. And I will definitely stay in touch and I will follow with you in the next couple of days. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure. You have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And God bless you and bring, bring light to the world as you can see fit. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. All right, John. Okay. Take care now. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks.